0: Lesson 3 for April 13 to 19 Preparing for Change Read by Dr Percy Harold in Iandina, Queensland, Australia Sabbath Afternoon, April 13 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, life is full of change. Each day seems to come one after the other, but There are incremental chains and there are major changes. And sometimes we need to make changes in our lives as well. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. May the words that come from you reach to our hearts and help us to make the changes that we need to make in our daily lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Psalm 85, verse 13. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Let's read that again, Psalm 85, verse 13. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Life is full of changes. Things change all the time. The only thing that does not change is the reality of change itself. Change, in fact, is a part of our very existence. Even the laws of physics seem to teach that change exists in the most basic fabric of reality. Often, changes come unexpectedly. We are going along in a routine when suddenly, instantly, everything changes and we are caught completely off guard. On the other hand, sometimes we can see changes coming. We are given forewarnings, signs and indicators that let us know things are going to be different. When this happens, it's wise to start preparing to whatever possible degree for what we can see coming. Many of these changes are big. Marriage, children, old age and even death. And yes, we do not live in isolation which means then that the changes that come to us can impact our families and in big ways as well. At the same time, changes in our families also can impact each family member too. This week, let's look at some of the changes that sooner or later, in one way or another, most of us face and how these changes can impact family life. sunday april fourteen unprepared there is one thing about the word of god it does not gloss over the realities of human life on the contrary it exposes them in all their harshness and at times sheer pain and despair in fact with the exception of the first few pages of the bible and the last few at the end the word of god paints a sad picture of the human race Paul was not exaggerating when he wrote in Romans 3:23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Question read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 13 what warnings are there as well as what promises 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them... God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day twenty-three thousand fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. In some ways... Many of our actions in life are simply how we react to change. We constantly face changes. The challenge for us as Christians is to deal with them by faith, trusting in God and revealing that faith through obedience, regardless of temptations to do otherwise. Ellen White wrote in Education, page 57, this famous quote, "'The greatest want of the world is the want of men,' men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. End of quote. These words were as true for ancient Israel as they were in Ellen White's time, and as they are for us now. Question What mistakes did the people in the following text make in the face of change, and what can we learn from their mistakes? First of all, Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last so great fear came upon all those who heard these things and the young men arose and wrapped him up carried him out and buried him now it was about 3 hours later when his wife came in not knowing what had happened and peter answered her tell me whether you sold the land for so much she said yes for so much then peter said to her how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the lord look the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. And then in Genesis, chapter 16, verses 1 two. 5 and 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand, do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. And Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 22, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? and be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with? They said to him, We are able. Changes come, and they often bring temptations, challenges, and even at times, fear. Thus, how crucial it is that we have the spiritual armour on to deal with them in the right manner. Again, regardless of whether the changes are unexpected, or whether they are just the typical part of life. We need to be prepared for what's coming, both the seen and the unseen. Monday, April 15, Preparing for Marriage One of the greatest changes a person faces is when he or she gets married. Of course, not everyone gets married. After all, Jesus, our greatest example, never did, nor did many other Bible characters. Nevertheless, many people do marry, and thus the Bible is not silent about marriage, which is surely one of the greatest life changes. The first social arrangement mentioned in the Bible is marriage. For God, marriage is so important that the same words he told Adam and Eve in Eden about marriage appear in three other places in Scripture. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Genesis 2 verse 24. We also see this in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 5 and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Mark 10 verse 7, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one one flesh. These texts tell us that once a person gets married, the most important relationship in their lives should be between them and their spouse, even more than between them and their parents. Among the reasons marriage between a man and a woman is so important to God is that it typifies the relationship that exists between his son Jesus and the church, his bride, as we read in Ephesians 5 verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In constructing a house, one needs to stop and consider the cost, as we read in Luke chapter 14 verses 28 to 30. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest, after he has laid the foundation, and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish? Or what king? Going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand. How much more so when establishing a home? A house is built with brick and mortar, wood and iron, wires and glass, but a home is built with things that are not necessarily material. Question What are some crucial traits that are important for all aspects of life, but are especially important for those preparing for marriage? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4-8 to Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 And 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Preparation for marriage must begin with us personally and individually. At the same time, we need to look carefully at our future spouse to see if he or she would be a good complement for us. Is he or she a hard worker? Proverbs 24, verse 30 has something to say about that. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man does he or she have a bad temper proverbs twenty two twenty four make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go do we share common beliefs second corinthians chapter six verses fourteen and fifteen do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? How do my family and friends feel about my future spouse? Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counsellors there is safety am I relying on faith or on feelings alone? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. The answers to these questions can mean a future of happiness or a lifetime of sorrow. So to finish today, think about some good marriages. What principles do you find there that could be applied to other kinds of interpersonal relationships as well? Tuesday, April 16, Preparing for Parenting Few things can change our lives more than the birth of a child. Nothing in the family can or will ever be the same again. As it says in Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. At the same time, children do not arrive with an owner's manual that tells their parents all they need to do to care for them and how to troubleshoot any problems that may arise. Even experienced parents are sometimes stumped by the actions, words or attitudes of their children. As important as it is to prepare for marriage, it is important also that those who hope to become parents be prepared for that awesome responsibility. Question However unique the following stories about births were, what principles can those preparing to be parents take away from these accounts? First of all, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Judges 13, verse 7, And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Luke 1, verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Luke one thirteen to seventeen but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And verses 39 to 55. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, for He has regarded the lowly state of His maid servant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And, verses 76 to 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people for the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the ways of peace. What an awesome responsibility and opportunity these parents had. Three would be the parents of prophets and leaders in Israel. One of their children would be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. And one of the children would be the Christ. Yet, even if our children are not destined to be biblical prophets parents should still be preparing for this radical change in in their lives. Even before the birth of a child, Ellen White writes in Adventist Home, page 256, the preparation should begin that will enable it to fight successfully the battle against evil. If before the birth of her child she is self-indulgent, if she is selfish, impatient and exacting, these traits will be reflected in the disposition of the child. Thus, many children have received as a birthright almost unconquerable tendencies to evil. So to finish today, whether it is children under our care, or if we have responsibilities toward other people, what are things we can do to discharge those responsibilities in the godliest manner possible? Day, April 17, preparing for old age. Psalm 90 verse 10 reads, The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labour and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. These words from Moses remind us of the inexorable... March of Time. As the years come and go, we begin to see and feel changes in our bodies. Our hair turns grey or falls out, we begin to slow down, and aches and pains become our daily companions. If we are married and have children, our children might bear their own children, and we could then enjoy our grandchildren. The previous seasons of life have helped us get ready for the last one. Question, read Psalm 91. What does this psalm teach us about not just preparing for old age, but about life in general? Psalm 91, beginning at verse 1, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness, and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me, and save me. Be my strong refuge, to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress." Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, make haste and help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. I will go to the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and grey-headed, O God, do not forsake me, until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very nigh. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again, and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side also with the lute I will praise you. and your faithfulness, O my God, to you I will sing with the harp, O holy one of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame, who seek my hurt. Psalm 71 is the psalm of an older person who experiences the challenges that come with life, but who is happy because all along he or she has put their trust in God. The best way to grow old is to put our trust in Him while still young. In general terms, the author of this psalm shares three important lessons he learned as he moved toward this season of his life. One, one, develop a deep and personal knowledge of God. From his youth, as we read in verse 17, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. God was his strong refuge, as we read in verses 1 and 7, In you, O Lord, I put my trust, let me never be put to shame. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. And his Saviour, we read in verse 2, Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. God is a rock and fortress, we read in verse 3. Be my strong refuge, to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. His hope and confidence in verse 5. For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. He speaks of God's mighty deeds in verses 16 and 17. I will go in the strength of the Lord, I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works, his strength and power, verse 18. Now also when I am old and grey-headed, O God, do not forsake me, until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Ultimately, he shouts in verse 19, O God, who is like you? Those daily conversations with God as we study His Word and as we pause to reflect on all He does for us will deepen our experience with Him. Two, develop good habits. Good nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, rest, etc. will help us enjoy life longer and better. Take special note of how the psalmist refers to the habits of trust in verse 3. Be my strong refuge, to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. And praise in verse 6. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. And hope in verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. And three, develop a passion for God's mission. The person in this psalm was not looking forward to being idle in his old age. Even in his retirement, he wanted to continue praising God, as he says in verse 8. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day and telling others about him in verses 15 to 18. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and grey-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And so to finish today, for those who are older, what are some of the benefits of getting older? What do you know now that you didn't, when younger, that you could share with those who are younger? Thursday, April eighteen, preparing for death. Unless we are alive at the second coming, one change that we can all expect is the biggest change of all, the change from life to death. Along with marriage and birth, what change has a greater impact on family than the death of an immediate family member? question, read First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 24 to 26. What do these verses teach us about death? Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Many times, of course, death comes unexpectedly and tragically. How many men, women, and even children woke up one morning only, before the sunset, to close their eyes, not in sleep, but in death? Or woke up one morning and before the sunset had lost a family member? Other than making sure you were connected by faith with the Lord and covered by His righteousness moment by moment— You can't prepare for a death that you don't see coming, either for yourself or your loved one. Romans 3.22 reads, Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. On the other hand, what would you do if you knew you had only a few months to live? We may not know for certain when death will overcome us, but we certainly may know when we are nearing the end of our life. Thus, how crucial it is to prepare ourselves and our family for the inevitable. Question, read 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-4. to 4. Some of the last words David spoke to his son Solomon. What lessons can we take from this about preparing for death, both for ourselves— And for family members. Second Samuel chapter two, beginning at verse one. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill His word which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. At first glance, one could argue, That's rich. David, who murdered Uriah after impregnating his wife, tells his son to walk in the way of the Lord. On the other hand, it was perhaps precisely because of this sin and the horrible consequences that followed that David's words were so powerful. Let's read Second Samuel chapter 11. It happened in the beginning of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired after the woman, and someone said, "'Is this not Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite?' Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house.' And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was going, and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark, and Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink, and to lie with my wife? As you live, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk, and at evening he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, and he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, If it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jebosheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall, so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had told him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city, and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He was, no doubt, in his own way, trying to warn his son away from the folly that caused him so much grief. David learned, the hard way, some difficult lessons about the cost of sin, and no doubt he had hoped to spare his son some of the grief that he himself had experienced. April 19. If we read through the story of ancient Israel in the wilderness, we can see a litany of mistake after mistake in the face of great changes, even despite the amazing revelation of God's love and power. In fact, before Israel was to finally enter the promised land and thus face another great change, Moses said the following in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 3 to 9, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal-Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourselves, and diligently keep yourself, lest ye forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart, all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. How crucial that we not forget what the Lord has done for us, and what better way not to forget than to teach it to others and to those who come after us. Notice too how central the family was in all this, in that they were to teach these things to their children. And the sin at Peor was something that only could be destructive to family life. Ellen White writes in the Adventist Home, page 326, The crime that brought the judgments of God upon Israel was that of licentiousness. The forwardness of women to entrap souls did not end at Baal Peor. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, in class, talk about some of the preparations you made in facing any of the big stages in life, marriage, parenting, old age, or anything else. How did the changes impact your family? What have you learned that could help others facing the same stages? Two, Think about David's words to Solomon, again in the context of his sin with Bathsheba, a calamity that cast a shadow over the rest of David's reign and greatly impacted his family for the worse. In what ways, amid it all, do we see the reality of God's grace at work? SIDE STORY Our mission story this week is titled Praying for a Baby, and it's by Marjorie Chesonga. My son was born a year after I got married. Then nothing. No more children. People started to notice. Why aren't you conceiving, one person asked. Maybe you should go to the medical doctor for help, another said. Some people suggested that I visit the witch doctor. My husband and I wanted more children. He taught at Rasunga Secondary School, a Seventh-day Adventist boarding academy in Monzi, in Zambia. I was studying to become an elementary school teacher. What could I say to those inquiring about the size of my family? That's the way it is, I repeated again and again. God will provide. I wasn't sad or annoyed by people's pity, but as time wore on, I realised that some of my... More superstitious friends thought I was being punished for some unknown reason. Then my husband's sister died and we adopted her three-year-old daughter. Now we have two children now home. My superstitious friends rejoiced, saying the girl's presence would wake up my hormones and allow me to have another baby. Still nothing happened. But the biblical story of Hannah in First Samuel 1 gave me hope. Hannah was a prayerful woman who never gave up. She persisted until God granted her prayer, and she gave birth to Samuel. My husband and I kept praying. We prayed for 13 long years. Then one day, I noticed something was different. I was pregnant. My husband and I immediately knelt to pray with thanksgiving. We named our second child Chalela, which means worthwhile in the Tonga language. He was well worth the wait. In no time I gave birth to a third son, Chakundela, which means let it be so. My two younger sons are now 17 and 14 and they love Jesus. God has blessed my family abundantly. We just had to be patient. When you ask God to give you something good in faith, He will give you more than you could possibly desire. And Marjorie Chishongo is aged 52 now. She teaches home economics at Rasunga Secondary School, located on land where U.S. missionary William Harrison Anderson established the first Adventist outpost in northern Rhodesia, now Zambia, in 1905. Mission offerings supported Anderson's work and continue to fund the spread of the gospel through missionaries today. Thank you for your